0: Good morning, beautiful church. You're supposed to say good morning, beautiful jazz. (laughs) Come on. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Anyway, you guys, um, I want to make sure my mic is on. Um, Can you guys hear it? All right. You're going to help me. I'm a school teacher, so I do a lot of correcting and a lot of encouraging. You guys need to help me today. You're going to correct and encourage me. If I start to speak too fast, raise your hand and say something. I will not get offended or embarrassed, okay? But it's so that you can understand better. So please feel the freedom to stop me, because I'll do that quite often, unfortunately. But as we begin, I want to ask, how many of you guys have ever gone to IKEA? Raise your hands. Yep. So we got lots of people who like mazes, right? Apparently. Anyway, going to Ikea, you guys, can be fun. However, I think it's cool when you buy cutlery. It's cool when you buy glassware. glassware. It's cool when you buy rugs. It's cool when you get artificial plants. Just don't buy furniture. That's not cool. And the reason I said it is because if you like puzzles, then maybe you like Ikea furniture. It is very tough to put together. That's all I'll say. Anyway, someone from the church needed uh, me and someone someone else and I to move um, some furniture for them and also put it together. Well, we go, we pick up the furniture, we bring it to their house, and then we have to put together a bed without any instructions and without any pictures. And she kept saying, well, I think that goes there and that should probably go there. We eventually figured it out. In fact, David is right there. It was David who helped me. So I called David DePau and he came over and helped me. We eventually put everything together, you guys. But there is one thing, if you're putting together IKEA furniture, that you absolutely need. Someone in the first service said, patience. We're going to, that's a given, right? You also need something else. What tool would that be? If you don't have wrench, you're putting it together. That's all there is to it. It is an Allen wrench. With an Allen wrench, you will eventually be able to put everything together. That is what I would call the capstone of putting together IKEA furniture. Today, I want to talk about the person who desires to be the capstone or the cornerstone of your life, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. If you would turn to me or turn with me now to First Peter chapter two, verses four through twelve, I have some junior hires who are going to help me read. So please be patient. There we go. Can you read this section right here, buddy? Okay. I'll have a few people read the text. One, one. Okay, maybe not that. <laughs> <Yeah>. that's okay. <laughs> As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also like living stones be, are being built in the spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thank you, buddy. All righty. Can you read now? Thank you, bud. For in scripture it says, See I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe this the the stone the builders. The builders <laughs> reject and become the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. And a stone that causes people to stumble in rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were dis- uh, designed to do. Mm-hmm. There you go. Thank you. And you guys split this one, okay? Thank Nine. you. Nine, but you but, are mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Ten, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you. And can you finish it up for us, please?
1: Dear Dear friends.
0: Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage your war against your soul. Twelve. Live such good lives among the pagans pagans that through they accuse you of doing wrong, Mm -hmm. they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Thank you. Can y'all give it up for him? Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Yeah. You guys did a great job reading. You guys, it's in font number seven. That's why it's hard to see. But that was for them, not for me. Okay? Mine is in 14. So... (laughs) <laughs> it's in 14. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, as we begin, let's recap over what we've looked at the first, um, the first few weeks. We first learned about our identity in Christ, and as Christians, we are born again. Then we learned that we are holy. And that holiness is a gift from God, and it comes out of having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We also learned that seeking holiness moves us toward healthiness, which moves us toward a healthy love. And finally, we learned that if something isn't loving, if something isn't holy, it's not loving. If something isn't holy, it's not loving. Bill McPhee said that last week, and I thought that was the heaviest thing I heard all week long, and I think I told it to about 10 other friends. Okay, if it's, if it's not holy, it cannot be living. And looking at today's passage, I want to start by taking notice of something that um, I think is, seems to be ironic, but it's worth mentioning, and I think it's actually God-ordained. We're in the book of 1 Peter, and we're talking about living stones and everything. In Greek, stone would be petra. In Spanish, it's um, pedro. And in French, it would be Pierre. All of those mean stone. And in English, once again, it means stone. Okay? That's what it would be translated as. As we examine the passage today, I want to talk about Jesus, who is the most beautiful, precious, life-giving stone that is yours to keep now and forevermore. If you're taking notes, the first would be Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the living stone. As we look at verse 4, we read that Jesus is figuratively and literally described as the living stone chosen and precious to God, meaning he's not only unequal in value, but he's also irreplaceable. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy 32.3, it says, it, it says he's referred to as the one and only rock. What makes him special is no other stone gives life or even lives forever. However, those of us who are connected to him live forever because he's the living stone. In Psalm 1-3, it paints one of the most beautiful pictures or a reference when when it talks about being connected. And it says, he's like a, talking about us as people, a man can be like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water who doesn't wither and all he does prosper. It gets its roots down and it gets that living water. Jesus is the living water. He's the fountain of life. He's the fountain of life. I'm going to work backwards. I'm going to go verses 7 and 8, and then 6, 5, and 4, because that's just kind of how the passage flows right here. When it refers to precious stones, the builders rejected. We know that in biblical times, the Jewish leaders actually um, didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah because he wasn't a picture of what a Messiah should look like. The interesting thing is we actually do that nowadays because I know that I have a tendency to reject Jesus when I want to do what jazz wants to do. When I want to have my way, I do things my way. He's no longer my Messiah. And he's no longer my Lord and Savior because I want to do things my way. But that's not what it's about. In fact, if he is the living stone, he's my Lord and he's my Savior, and I must basically do something called repent, which means I turn away from doing things jazz's way and I do things the way he's calling me to do them, which is always the better way. In fact, he's the one who can meet my each and every need. If you look at Philippians 4.19, it says, thank you, Margaret, for raising your hand. If you look at Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He meets all of our needs in Christ Jesus. But prior to verse 5, it talks about us being built into a spiritual house, which is actually the church, not the building, but the people. Well, what better way to build us up than to use one another? People are the living stones that God strategically places in our lives to smooth over our rough edges. Kim, you would say, Chris. He straightens out some of your rough edges, right? They are in Bible study together, so they, they share a lot of stuff. And Chris would say the same thing. <laughs> Everybody laughs because they are awesome in study. They make us laugh all the time. A great married couple. But anyway, they, they smooth out each other's stones. For parents, you would probably say your kids smooth out your rough edges. And kids, I know you'd probably say your parents, well, sometimes you your clash you'd be like, nah, my parents be bugging, Senior You got to talk to them. But they're smoothing out some of your rough edges. We do that, you guys, as a spiritual house. But God strategically places us in each other's lives. When those stones are smoothed out and we begin to love one another, that makes us attractive as a what? As a spiritual storehouse. And it says that people will know that we're Christians by the love we have for one another. How does that take place? Well, as Bill talked about last week from 1 Peter 2.22, it says we love one another deeply from the hearts. I actually looked that up because I wanted to see what does it mean to love my sisters and brothers deeply from the heart? I'll say one thing, it is a tall order. It means I do not have the right to dismiss, mistreat, give up on, or say, we just have irreconcilable differences, I'm just going to go my way. No, that's not what we do, and neither do we otherize people, because we have a tendency to say, well, them over there, you know, as if though they're like dehumanized, as if though they don't exist. No, they do exist because they're made in God's image, so they're important. And in the church, we're going to have differences. Some are going to be petty, and some are going to be big. I think about something that's significant, but I wouldn't say insignificant, but that's just different. I go to quite a few weddings. A lot of them are of my former students and of some friends, but of my former students, you know, whether it be Peninsula or whether it's been from doing high school ministry, and a lot of them are from my relatives back home. The weddings are different. And I go to a lot of weddings back home because at my last family reunion, I think we had 500 people, you guys. My grandmother was one of eight. My grandfather was one of seven. One of my aunts, you know, Yeah, she and and her husband, they had eight kids. One of my uncles, he and his wife, 11 kids, 10 girls and one boy, My, uh, my uncle Ray and my auntie Helen. Yeah, huge family. So I went to a lot of weddings. The weddings that I go to just happen to be a little different. Out here, the weddings I go to are a little calm, serene, just kind of move on in service. Now, back home, they set it off in there. The pastor's like preaching and stuff in the middle of a ceremony. and He'll say something like, you know, and be the husband of but one wife and somebody say, yes, yeah, right, the husband of one wife. And I'm like, man, tone it down. You're in church. And it's like, yeah, I know I'm in church. In black churches, you do what you do at black weddings. You talk back to the pastor. It is a dialogue. Even at a wedding, you talk back. Yeah. Out here. <laughs> dang, so, London, you're going to set it off, huh? <laughs> it is what it is, you guys. But also, when you go to receptions they're a little different. The ones I go to out here, I enjoy, but the musical preference is a little different for me. We start out and we're singing We Are Family by Sister Sledge, then we play Cool in the Gang, you know, um, what is that song? Um, celebrate good times, come on. We play them at both weddings. And then out here, there's a song called Sweet Caroline, and I hear that, and I usually leave the dance floor, I get some water. Or I might hear Abba, you know, what is that song? Dancing Queen? Not a preferable song for jazz. I'm just being honest. So the cat's in a cradle silver spoon or whatever that is and it's about what? Some little dysfunctional relationship between a boy and his dad and I just don't get it. But when I'm back home and they put on that barrier White, you know, can't get enough of your love babe. Now that's my song. You know, that's my song. Or they throw something like, you know, come on ladies kick them daisies. I'm like, yeah, that's my stuff. That's my jam. We have different musical preferences, you guys. But not only that, we also have different preferences when it comes to styles of worship. For example, I just so happen not to enjoy rock worship. But that doesn't make it bad or wrong. I like Hosanna Integrity. And I laugh because I know Nancy and her husband, they probably understand that because we we're raised in the 80s and 90s. And someone I put it on one time, and he was like, dang, Jazz, that's what my grandma listened to. <laughs> I like hosanna and tergony, you guys. I like acoustic, like Jasmine this morning. I do not like rock worship, but we don't throw it out just because it's different. No, we don't. As a spiritual house, once again, being built together with Christ as a cornerstone, we must continue to love each other deeply from the heart in spite of those differences. We don't have the right to discard another person because of those differences, however tough it may be. Why? Because Christ never discards us, treats us poorly, or decides he's not going to have anything to do with us. In fact, it says he is an eternal rock. He will never leave nor forsake us. So I don't leave my brothers and sisters behind. I don't just leave or forsake them because something's different. In fact, when it comes to being a healthy person, I heard a pastor at Monrovia Fellowship say, it would be good for personal growth If we truly befriended those who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't vote like us, who come from socioeconomic um, backgrounds that are different than ours, okay? He also went on to say, we'd be much healthier people for an emotional, relational, cultural, even intellectual, because a lot of times, if, we, if we're college educated and someone isn't, we have a tendency to maybe dismiss them thinking they're unable to instruct us. They can, they're created in God's, in, in God's image. They're just as valuable as we are and they can teach us about things we don't know. We don't know everything. We are not omniscient, we're not God. So we need to have a respect for those people also, okay? Just because they're not college educated doesn't um, devalue them. But also, we'll be much healthier people spiritually if we embrace those who are somewhat different. When I go to Monroe Fellowship, and um, Bo, his dad's a pastor there, and I wound up doing a study um, with him called Rock Solid. It was probably one of the most fun studies I'd ever been a part of. But when I went to that church, you guys, talk about diverse. Our church seems to be somewhat um, homogenous, which is okay, because it is what it is. It's in this area, and it's just gonna be that. But, you know, God obviously would wanna change that, because he, 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 he enjoys diversity. When I walked into that church, I thought, wow, now this is church. This is church also right now, I wanna make that clear. When I stepped in there, the reason I said that is because it reminded me of a reflection of heaven. There There were people from every background. There were people of all ages. There were eight year olds, 18 year olds, 28 year olds, 80 years old, eight weeks old, eight months old. I mean, just every age group seemed to be represented. People from every race there are black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, Pacific Islanders, Middle Easterners, and the cool thing was, I saw that they had a genuine love for one another. Like I saw this black guy talking to this white guy, and their Hispanic friend came up, and then the other guy who looked like he was Arab or something—they're like, "Man, where were you the other night? We were waiting for you." He was like, "Oh, buddy, I had to work late," but they were hugging him and everything, and there was just a genuine love they had for one another. And I thought. Wow, Lord, that's what you intend for the church to look like, because not every stone is going to look exactly the same. They were from different socioeconomic backgrounds. When I was in a parking lot, I saw some bins, I saw some Beamers, I saw some Audis, but then I saw some people taking a bus, and if you're taking a bus, normally you might not have that much money, you know, but they were all one. I saw some clunkers in a, you know, in a parking lot, and I saw some classics like my 97 Forerunner, you know, with some scratches and a dent on it, you know, it is what it is, life goes on. Everything was represented. I thought to myself, they got all flavors here. All flavors. The reason I shared it with you guys is because every rock will not look the same. Every rock will not look the same and we don't throw them away just because they look different. We do not throw them away just because they look different. As we go back now to verse four, we see as living stones, we properly offer spiritual sacrifices to God with our lives through praise, service, obedience, doing good, sharing with others, and there are probably a plethora of many other things. But something I wanna take a look at is actually praying. I think we rarely look at praying as a spiritual sacrifice. And the reason it's a sacrifice is because it takes the time of something else and it takes place to do it. And that's why we see it as a sacrifice. But the thing is, We unfortunately undervalue prayer and overlook it and just move on to other things. Where that is that connection, you know, that we have with God is through speaking to him and allowing him to speak to us. It says in Mark 1 while it was still early in the morning, Jesus arose and went up to a solitary place and prayed. If Jesus deemed it as important, how much more do we need to do that as believers? In fact, I want us to pause right now and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and teach us how to value prayer. So why don't we just bow our heads and pray to yourself and say, Lord, I want to value prayer, okay? Father, I confess that I don't pray as often as I should or as I desire, but I want to make it happen to do so more. For I know that there's wisdom in doing so, that there's healing in prayer, revelation through it, um, protection under it, and you work in and out of us when we go to you in prayer. It's where I come to be completely honest with you, and I don't have to pretend because you know everything anyway, and you still love me. I pray for my brothers and sisters that they as well would value prayer, that they also would want to have a healthy prayer life, meeting with you on a daily basis, Lord. Thank you so much. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Point number two, those who reject the stone stumble. Why do they stumble? Because they have not chosen to believe or obey the word. I know that verses 7 and 8 are kind of hard to digest. However, they carry heavy truth in saying that those who reject him or reject the stone don't find him precious. And what happens is they stumble. And why do they stumble? Because they cannot see. It's hard to walk in the dark. Throughout scripture, it says that the enemy of the world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers or blinded the minds of those who choose not to believe. They say that good is bad and bad is good. They'll say that right is wrong and wrong is right. In fact, it says in scripture, where there's no vision, the people perish. They have no vision because they do not see with the eyes of Jesus. In Ephesians 1:18, the apostle Paul is actually praying for believers at this point. And he says, I pray that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened. Basically that they would see or that we would see with the eyes of Jesus. I think there are very few things that we do successfully in the dark. How many of you have gotten dressed in the dark? I get dressed in the dark because I teach zero period at um, peninsula and so I have to be there at 6.55 so I get up um, a little bit after five. How many of you have gotten dressed and then got to work and realized you had a blue sock on and a green sock on? There you go. Or you had two different shoes on. I went to church with two different shoes on one time. Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but anyway, it happened. I went to school one day and I put on a sweater and I'm thinking everything's cool. In fact, the sweater fit me kind of snug and I'm like, dang, Lord, so my working out is paying off, you know? The sweat- I get in the third period. One of my kids in French tells me, Oh, monsieur, vous portez uh, votre poulevé à l'envers. <laughs> Mr. T, you're wearing your sweater backwards. It was choking me. <laughs> and here I am thinking maybe I'd worked out and had put muscle on. No, Jazz, you just don't know how to put your clothes on. <laughs> I had the sweater on backwards and it was actually choking me and I just kept teaching. Yeah, and the kid, he actually told me, I was like, sorry, guys. I went outside and changed it. But, I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, I get up in the morning, I usually wash my hands and sometimes I put my contacts on right away, this morning I didn't put my contacts on. I decide, okay, I need to hurry up and brush my teeth. And so I get my toothpaste out right away, you know? So I have my toothpaste and I'm thinking everything's fine. Hmm. Interesting, 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 you guys. I get it and I'm thinking, oh, it smells really funny. It was not my toothpaste. This is my muscle rub. That's my toothpaste. (laughs) Yeah. That's what happens when you do things in the dark and you don't have spiritual—you don't have eyes to see. Yeah, and I remember thinking, "Oh, this sounds this is so weird. <laughs> I should have known that." And at the beach, someone did something worse. She didn't say what it was, but anyway, how many of you have ever done something like that? Come on, somebody, please identify with me. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyway, you guys, it's because—and it was dark, right? Okay, there you go. <laughs> it is what it is. But the point that I want to make is that Jesus is the light that helps us not to stumble not to fall, okay, not to be misguided. Psalm 119, verse 105 says that, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus is that light. He's the one who illuminates the way for us. Thus... Instead of him being a light, though, for some people, he's a stone that they trip over as they go about not being able to see or not focused on him. And he's a rock of offense who crushes us after we've fallen if we haven't believed. Furthermore, we learn that they are counted as, they're not counted as God's chosen people or royal priesthood, those who have not embraced the stone. The preaching of Jesus dying on a cross for our sins is actually foolishness to them. So unfortunately, when they reject the stone, they reject Jesus. And as a result, they reject heaven. The converse, however, is that Christ, the precious stone, came to deliver people. And the call of the gospel is to repent, turn away from one's sins, and receive God's free gift, Jesus Christ. And as a result, experience eternal life. But those of us who do see him as a precious cornerstone are considered priests. As a priest... I get to rule in a kingdom with the king. That is a privilege. Christ gives me carte blanche because when he sees me, he sees reflection of himself. It says in scripture, um, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. He sees Jesus, he no longer sees the old jazz. But the coolest thing is, I have the most loving king to rule over me, okay? He's the most gentle, the most kind, The most faithful, the most loyal, the most forgiving king you will ever know. I can't think of anywhere in scripture where a king dies for his people. Most kings surround people around them to self protect. Jesus wasn't like that, he was others protecting. He died for us. Unfortunately, those who don't trust Jesus are instead ruled by the prince of darkness, known as Satan. He's not their ally, he's their enemy and he's real, he's a liar, and he's, he's actually referred to as the father of lies, and he offers a faulty foundation that will fall and that will disappoint. Though in the beginning, he will make things look appealing, which all sin does. But sin never shows the consequences and that it will tear you apart. Oh yeah, you see the rejection of Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament in Isaiah eight fourteen and twenty eight sixteen. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone Furthermore, when we reject the rock and stumble, we're like those described in verse 11, who do not abstain from fleshly desires that war against their souls. And another word for war would be battle, which means malicious aggression or long-term, or long-term campaign. And this takes place because they cannot see because they've been blinded by the enemy of their souls. John 10:10 says, the thief or Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. The second part is beautiful. It says, But Jesus came that we might have life and have it in abundance. So, the key to the abundant life is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Simply put, loving Jesus. So, we can agree that rejecting a stone causes stumbling, but there's a better way out, and Jesus will offer that. Point number three those who embrace the stone prosper. Well, let's start by looking at why they prosper. It's because of their position and who they are. Verses 9 and 12 say that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm not sure what comes to you guys' mind when you think of royalty, but considering what happened, I think it was three weeks ago or four weeks ago when we had the wedding and everything of the beautiful, what's her name? Meghan Markle to Prince Harry. I think, Margaret, you recorded three sessions of it. I was at their house and yeah, um, she for dinner, I had to watch it, right? <laughs> I think we watched an hour of it and I was like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I went on for days and days. There you go. That's royalty. But you know what? We have something in common with them guys. We are just as royal. They are descendants of royalty, but so are we. We're descendants of the most high king, Jesus. We're sons and daughters of the king. That gives us royal status. In the Old Testament, priests had specific duties, one being of um, going to God on behalf of the people, okay? And we get to do the same thing now as priests. What? We bridge people. We help to bridge people between them and God. We know, we share what we know about Jesus and everything. And according to verse 12, the greatest way we do that is with our lives. That's why it says, love such godly lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may glorify God on the day he visits us. Whether we realize it or not, we are always on display. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. So it's God's chosen people. Hopefully our words and our actions declare his praises. When people see us, they say that guy's a Christian by how he responds, you know. For me, there are a few things that come to mind, but there's one in particular of when I embraced a stone and I got to see prosperity. And that's when I was 19 years old and my Bible study leader, Chris Klein, asked me to work at a Christian camp with them. And I think I came up, well, it was after my freshman year, I came up with everything under the sun not to work at that camp. In fact, I told him, I gotta sell coat knives so I can make enough money for tuition. I told him I had to do something else. And he's like, Jazz, I think you really ought to come and work at this camp, man, you'll love it. And I think I came up with another excuse. Interestingly enough, I was taking this jazz class and Patty McAvoy, I remember, was a teacher and she came up to me and she talked to me about working at the camp. And I looked at her and said, did Chris Klein send you to talk to me? She said, no, absolutely not. She said, in fact, we were uh, praying for him that he would commit. He committed three days before and then he started asking me to work at the camp with him. And then three days later, she wound up asking me and I said, okay, God, if you really want me to work at the camp, you gotta get somebody else. It was almost like throwing a fleece out because God loves us so much and he's so patient. He got somebody else to ask me to work at that camp, you guys. I decided I was gonna play a little bit more with God. If you really want me to work at a camp, you got to get some other people to ask. God sent like three other people to get me to work at that, to, to talk to me about working at that camp. I wound up working at that camp and it was the best thing I could have ever done. It was life transforming. It was there. <clears throat> <Yes>. Thanks, Lindy. <laughs> It was there that I fell in love with Jesus and understood what true redemption was, that he had taken me out of where I once was and brought me into his presence, as it talks about in Colossians 1.13, you know, for His delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom there's redemption. It was there that I developed the passion for walking with the Lord. It was there that I started learning what it meant to spend daily time in a word, it was there that I had people pouring into my life and calling me for who I was called to be. It was there that I started memorizing the word. And I remember one verse that stuck out was Psalm 119, 9, where it says, I've hidden a word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And it was there that a little Karen Dustin, who was raised in a Christian home, was super patient with me, who would teach me things. I mean, as a young girl who was 18 years old also, who would teach me things in a word that I didn't know. And I remember sitting at a morning meeting one time, And they said, turn to the book of of John. I'm in Old Testament. I don't even like in Genesis or Deuteronomy. And Ellen Velker very lovingly says, sweetheart, it's in the New Testament. (laughs) And she turns there for me. I was the youngest Christian there, you guys, knew absolutely nothing about the Bible. And they were so patient with me because I was kind of like a little disobedient punk basically at that time. But it was there that I really learned what it meant to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But something that really sticks out is one of the verses that we studied there and that now that, ho- that is um, dear to me. And that's Joshua 1.8, where it talks about, um, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to obey everything written in it, and you will see prosperity. I know in this, you know, in this context of where we live here, when we think of prosperity, financial prosperity is the main thing that comes to mind but that's not exactly what the text was talking about and nothing is wrong with financial prosperity. I want to make sure I make that very clear. But he was talking about spiritual prosperity for me at that moment and even for us now. Um, All prosperities may be great, but they all pale in comparison to spiritual prosperity. If you're a student, academic prosperity, it is great and we want to get into those UCs and the Ivy Leagues and Stanfords and, you know, LSUs and stuff like that. (laughs) That's where I went, you know, I'm just joking though. Yeah, super hard, you know, but nonetheless, you guys, uh, academic prosperity is important, but it pales in comparison to spiritual prosperity. Athletic prosperity is very important and it's important around here or, you know, it's very highly valued, but it pales in comparison to spiritual prosperity and spiritual prosperity is where we get intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ and where we fall in love with him and he gets to know us and we get to know him all the better. That's what I found when I worked at Camp Singing Waters. I also learned that there was no higher privilege than to be a herald of the gospel. Verse 9 says, we proclaim his excellencies. So now I ask myself, jazz, does your behavior match your identity as a living stone? Do you act like a son of the living king? Someone who is holy, who is set apart because the most effective evangelism will flow from a righteous lifestyle. Matthew 5, 16 does not mince words when it says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If this sounds scary, it should. Why? Because we cannot do it on our own, you guys. It is the power of the Holy Spirit who works in us and enables us to walk in holiness. And as Bill said last week, it is a gift. We do not do it on our own, and I do not get it on my own. That is the power of the Holy Spirit working in me and helping me to say no to what I should say no to and yes to what he's calling me to say yes to, which is always going to be for my benefit because he loves me so much. And furthermore, it is he who helps us to live out, verse 11, where it says to abstain from sinful desires, or as it says in Hebrews, to cast off everything that hinders. And the reason we want to do that is because we are royal priesthood and we're people who've been delivered from darkness into his wonderful light. He sees you as a royal priesthood, okay? I don't know about you guys, but that motivates me to live my life for the Lord. And as it says, to taste and see that he is good. That allows us to sing the song, the the Psalm, Psalm 107, where it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We get to tell people what we've been redeemed from. I was once going to hell, but now I'm going to heaven because Jesus purchased me and he took me out of that slave market and he has me now as one of his children. As we wrap up verse 12, where it says that he and, um, he visit, the day he visits us, I think of the day of judgment, but it's not trepidation, something to be feared. It is an invitation. He beckons us to come right now or whatever fears, concerns, doubts, or anxieties that we may have. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, he cares for us. Thus, it is an open invitation. It's not a closed-door policy only for the do-gooders and people who have it all together. Not at all. Church is a place for people who are hurting, people who recognize that they have issues. And I think of church sometimes as a hospital for those who are sick. And you know what? Jesus is that doctor. He's the Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. He's the great physician. There we go. He invites you to the hospital, basically, and he wants to heal you. What happens is he offers us mercy, as it says in that verse. My encouragement would be to receive it. Basically, you don't get what you deserve, which is hell, because he offers mercy. He offers redemption. He offers eternal life through embracing that stone. This is the benefit of trusting God. You see, Jesus wore a crown of thorns and a crown of suffering that you might wear the crown of glory, that will never fade away, according to 1 Peter 5, 4. This is the depth of love that he has for you. I'm going to recap very quickly, and I need you guys to participate with me and help me. Can you tell me the three points that were made today? The first one says Jesus is the what? Living stone. And the second one would say that those who reject a stone stumble or fall, and those who embrace the stone prosper. Thanks. Man, you guys, wow, I give all y'all A's. There you go. (laughs) So my question would be, is your precious stone to be cherished or a rock to be thrown away? As I conclude right fast, I want to do a little um, show and tell. Uh, What is this right here, you guys? It's a stone, but it says... Rock solid. And I got this with Bo's dad over there as I did this class with him that was phenomenal. Okay. It's uh, men who are rock rock solid on the inside so that they're dangerous on the outside for Christ. And so that's the stone. And what is this? And oops. Whoa. What is this right? Oh, shoot. Bummer. Okay. It's sand on the ground. Okay. (laughs) You guys are awesome what you're showing tells. Anyway, it's sand. Okay. I got it from the beach. I'm going to put it right here. I don't want it all over the place. But we have the rock and a stone. I want to read something to you guys. Okay. If you would close your eyes, I'm going to read Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. The wise and the foolish builders. Just listen, please. The wise man built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But the foolish man built his house on a sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. The question I want to ask you guys is what are you building your house on? Jesus, who's a solid rock, or sinking sand? Jesus, who's a solid rock, or sinking sand? You may look up. You see, if you build your house on a rock, uh, if you build your house on a sand or anything else for that matter, you will fall and you will be crushed. But if you build your house on Jesus, there will be times that you will fall, but he will catch you. If you're a Christian, and you've wandered. This is an invitation to come back. Second Peter two twenty five says, "For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd of your souls. He's beckoning you." If you're a Christian and you haven't wandered away, this is still for you. For we all have things that have maybe supplanted our love for the Lord. You know, things that have become maybe small idols or something which the Lord doesn't want. But He's actually telling us reevaluate our lives. Look at Psalm 139 where it says, Search me, O God, and know my, uh, know my ancient ways and see if there be any wicked way in me. Yeah, that's the invitation. You know, invite the Lord in. If you have never asked Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, I want to be lovingly honest with you and let you know that everything is not okay. Everything's not okay, but everything can be okay. This is an invitation for you to come to the table of mercy. For God takes no delight in seeing anyone go to hell, and he's calling you right now. Remember that Jesus is a friend of sinners and outcasts. He accepts everyone willingly if they would cry out to him. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. He wants to sup with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. This leads me in his final verse where it says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures evermore. You surround us, O God, with your favor. The earth is full of your goodness. The earth is full of your love. He loves you and wants to have a relationship with you okay if you have any questions about how to become a christian please talk to anyone who's been on a stage or up here today um i'll be in the back at the end please come and talk to me why don't you guys um bow your heads and i'm going to pray and a worship team is going to come up here and bill's going to lead us um into communion father thank you so much for loving us and just being a good god jesus thank you for being that fountain of life as well as that living stone Holy Spirit, we thank you for indwelling us and empowering us. We thank you for um, leading us in the direction we're called to go. We thank you for your grace that covers our sins when we do fall, but also the grace that catches us and helps us not to fall. We thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We can never thank you enough. It's your precious name that we pray. Amen.